Hey, I'm Kai Smith, and you're listening to the Miserable Failure Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Miserable Failure Podcast, brought to you by Krusty Media, and I am your host, Michael X. Krusty, and this is episode 21, and let's just, let's just slow it down. It's the morning, it's the morning, you're driving to work, you're getting up, you haven't had your coffee yet, I haven't had my coffee yet, let's just, let's just... Okay, let's just breathe. Everyone just breathe. (sighs) Okay. Woo! All right. I had to do that. I'm sorry. It was a tension breaker. Had to be done. You know how it is. You know how it is. All right. I have Kai Smith on the episode today. He is a drummer from Australia. Australia is on the other side of the world. We know this. It's going to be winter there. It's winter there now. Oh, man, that sucks. He is a drummer. He's been in a ton of bands and he has a YouTube channel that has just grown a crazy amount. He's got millions and millions of views. He is a fantastic person. Uh, I loved chatting with him. We're going to take a deep dive into exactly what he does. But before that, let's get into some music. Let's play a song. I want to play a song. I want to play a a no effects song. Let's play Laurie Myers. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm okay. It's midnight here, and it's if I recall it, after my little mistake earlier, I've I realized that it's 3 p.m. your time. 
It is, yeah. I'm just the following day, three yeah, p.m. Yeah, the following day, three p.m. in the future. Yeah, I'm kind of um just winding down now, about to head home shortly, and just kind of been in the studio all day. So yeah. Are you at the point where you've become successful and, and you have a separate studio where you're filming all your drum sessions and everything now? Like you have a studio for that instead of just in your basement or in your bedroom? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that defines success, but I mean, I do have a studio that's separate to, to where I live, but it is part of like a storage shed. So it's kind of, I guess it's like, yeah, a midway point, maybe not too successful, but successful enough to not be in the basement, you know? So yeah. Yeah. But but no, it works out well. I've got a three year old at home, so it wouldn't work at all to have me bashing drums where we live as well. So yeah. Yeah. How many drum sets do you have? I think I've got about I must have about three or four now. I, I kind of sold one or two a little while back. Just I needed some extra money, but I've got a few. I've got like an electric kit. I've got this one behind me. Um, and then I've got another couple that are just kind of in storage, but I don't play them as much. I kind of just play mostly just this one. It's a Pearl, uh, what is it? Masters Maple Complete. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's what I use for all the recording these days and touring and all that kind of stuff. Or when, when there was touring that is. You're sponsored by Pearl, right? Yeah, I'm a Pearl guy at the moment. So they've been really, really cool. I've always been a Pearl guy as well. I play drums. I don't play, obviously, I'm not nearly as good as you are. I've been playing drums for like 20 years or so, but on and off. I've never considered myself a drummer. I've always been a guitarist in a band. So I'm one of those guys, but I've always been a Pearl guy too. So it's, and I've also been a Zildjian guy. And I noticed you're a Zildjian guy. Yeah, that's right. So the whole Pearl, Zildjian, Dick Firth, QSC, Remo. Who else? I'm trying to remember uh, everyone else, Samson. Um, but yeah, no, Pearl and um, Zildjian, they've been really cool to me over the last few years. I kind of, I think I jumped on with Pearl maybe three or four years ago now. So yeah, I, I never had a drum kit sponsor before Pearl. So they're my first and only drum kit sponsor, which is really cool. They've been really rad. Would you say that is from the success of your YouTube channel? I guess so. I mean, I don't really do much else, to be honest. I used to play in a band um, called Local Resident Failure. We did a bit of touring. You know, we were around for about 10 years and we toured Europe and Japan and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's, yeah, probably the, the YouTube stuff is what, I probably have spent the most time doing over the last almost 10 years now. And that's kind of been probably what people may recognize if they recognize the name that is. So yeah. On your website, there's a list of like 15 bands that you've been in. The big one would be local resident failure. I can name them off, I guess. Civil War is, are these ones all done? Civil War, Batfoot, Chris Duke and the Royals. Friends with the enemy. Yeah, some of these were kind of even just one-off gigs. So they're like, I do a lot of fill-in work as well. So a lot of the ones you named actually are like good friends bands, but maybe um, their drummer just couldn't play for a gig or two. So I would be kind of the fill-in guy. But um, yeah, it's been really cool. I really like doing the whole fill-in stuff. It kind of keeps things fresh to play with different people kind of regularly, you know. Hopefully once we get back to gigs, there'll be more of it. You did fill-in for the Money Money Boston, so is that right? No, so I filled in for a band called The Porkers, um, who are an Australian band. They're from Newcastle here as well. Um, and we went over to Boston and played with the, we supported the Bostones. Okay, you you supported them. Okay, so my information yeah. was incorrect. I'll have to <laughs> do the, the uh, Wikipedia fact or fiction thing and, you know, strike that one off. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool, man. How long have you been playing drums for? I started in 2002, so it's, it's almost 20 years now, coming up to 20 years. So I was in year seven, um, kind of had just started high school, and I'd always had like an interest in drums, but had never kind of seen them in person. And then 
the very first music class in year seven when I started high school. There was a drum kit in the corner and that was kind of my first opportunity to kind of sit behind one and actually, you know, hit it and see how it all sounds and see how it all feels. And yeah, I was pretty well hooked from there. I just kind of started getting lessons and got lessons for about six months before I got a kit of my own for Christmas and then just went wild after that. Just kind of snowballed from there and turned into this massive machine. That's totally, yeah. That's your life now. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's pretty much my whole identity now is, you know, being a drummer or a big part of it at least. So Yeah. You said year seven, is that what you said? What does that mean? Yeah. So that's I guess the equivalent to grade seven, I would imagine. So for over here we call it like year one, year two, year three, which I would imagine is just kind of yeah, grade one, grade two, grade three. For us, high school starts in grade nine in Canada. Yeah. Okay. So you've got like, do you have middle school in Canada? There is middle school. Yeah. So middle school is like grade seven, grade six, seven, eight, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We just have, we just go from primary to high school. So we go primary, which is year kind of kindergarten to year six and then year seven to 12 is high school. So oh, okay. we skip yeah. the whole middle school thing. Yeah. Pretty much the same deal. Yeah. Were you getting into punk around 11 years old? You said 2002, that's like when Blink-182 is massive and you know, Green Day is about to come out with American Idiot. So is that yeah. kind of when you got into punk music? Similar time, I guess. So yeah, about 2001, 2002, I heard, um, I actually saw Green Day's Minority video on TV, just as one of, they have like rage and video hits, like a, just, I guess, the equivalent to MTV over here. And I just saw that video, which was really cool. And I was really into like drawing and cartoons and all that kind of stuff. That was kind of what I was into at the time, more so than music. Um, and I guess that music video was really cool in that it had like the, the big blow up kind of parade going down the street. It was kind of very cartoony, but it also had like that really catchy kind of music. And I guess I was really intrigued with that. And that, yeah, that happened around pretty well around the same time I started playing drums. So Green Day were the band that kind of got me into music and exploring, I guess, that whole kind of punk genre, I guess, you know, the whole gateway band kind of thing. And from there, I kind of just dove straight in and found, you know, bands like Blink and The Offspring and those other kind of real heavy hitters in the, in the scene. And then from there, I dug further and found the, the kind of the Fat Records stuff. So No Effects and Frenzel and Lagwagon and yeah, that was it. That was, I was in. I always find this interesting when I talk to people about, especially about Green Day, because I'm a huge Green Day fan. Uh, and yep. I asked them, what's the album that you got into first? What's your favorite album? And A Warning is an album for a lot of people where it was like their first one and that got them yep. into Green Day. And for me, like I started... I started in the Dookie era. So like, I think my least favorite Green Day record is Warning. But for some people, it's their favorite and it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's a bit of a departure, I guess, isn't it? It sounds, it's got a different vibe to, you know, the ones that came just before it. But I think my very first one was actually uh, International Super Hits, which came out, I think, a year after Warning. So Okay, yeah. The Greatest Hits. The Greatest Hits, yeah, which I didn't realize at the time that it was the Greatest Hits, but it was a really good kind of, <laughs> you know, an introduction into who they were up until that point, you know. And then a couple of years after that, American Idiot came out and they had the whole huge success and they were back on the radio again, you know. So it was really cool. Not a lot of bands do that. They'll have a, like a really massive album like Dookie. And then later in their career, they'll have another album that is just as big. 
with yep. American Idiot. That doesn't happen with a lot of bands, so it's pretty cool that they did that. And I just want to mention that I am, personally, I am a fan of Greatest Hits albums. I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I hate Greatest Hits albums. I think they're great. The Nirvana one that came out with the extra song, you know, you're right. I thought that was great. I listen to it all the time. Yeah, I think they're great. A great introduction to a band. Like for me, um, finding that International Soup Beats was kind of gave me a good overview on that band's history up until that point as someone who had no idea about punk rock or, you know, even really rock music in general at that point. It was a great way to kind of find out more about the band and then actually go ahead and buy the album and say, oh, this song's actually from that album. So go and buy that album. I think they serve a good purpose. You know, there's obviously the marketing side to it as well. But um, as a young 11 or 12 year old, it's a really good way to get into music. It's a total different ballgame these days. But back then, that was kind of a good way to do it. Yeah, now it's now it's all playlists for sure. Totally. Was the Green Day five minute drum chronology the first one you did on the YouTube channel? It was, yeah. It wasn't the very first video I did, but it was the very first kind of five-minute drum chronology. So that was like the first one of that idea or that series, you know. And I thought it made total sense to have Green Day as the first one because they were the first kind of band I got into, I guess. What gave you that idea? Kind of been doing videos for maybe a year or two before that on YouTube and just doing like single songs and and that kind of thing. And then I had the idea to do a medley of all the Fat Records releases, um, which was kind of the first, I guess that was the first one where I did like a chronological video trying to feature a certain concept. That did pretty well. Like that kind of actually opened the door to a lot of different things. And like, you know, Fat Records shared it and a lot of the bands on that label kind of shared it. It was really kind of mind blowing for me because they kind of broke down that fourth wall, you know, where the bands actually, they exist as people and they're not just this untouchable kind of thing. Like, you know, I, I got a lot cool messages and emails from the bands which was just totally mind-blowing for me you know and then um yeah from there I thought well you know the whole medley chronological idea kind of worked that time so I did one on Epitaph Records which was kind of the same deal I was just thinking how can I apply this idea to to kind of more videos and that that's where the five minute chronology came from when you think of the bands that they have and the albums they release do you prefer fat wreck or do you prefer epitaph i know that's a hard decision to make for a lot of people but what what do you prefer if you had to choose one i think if i had to choose one i'd probably pick fat records and i think you know um that's probably just because i guess maybe some of those those early fat wreck bands that that have kind of you know, the no effects and lag wagons and strung out and good riddance and propaganda. They have a similarity in the, in their sound in a lot of ways, you know, maybe not as much propaganda these days, but I think they're probably closer to a similar sound than maybe Epitaph who's kind of branched out more in recent years, which is totally cool as well. But I think my personal preference and, and kind of what I grew up on, I've got this real nostalgia about that, that kind of fat record sound. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's not to say that there aren't, heaps of awesome bands on epitaph as well and I, I even like some of the the bands that are kind of a little bit left field that aren't you know the bands that got signed in the early days on epitaph you know so yeah i think they're both great but that records has probably got more of a nostalgia factor for me when you think about it like i've never really thought about it in the sense of the two labels but when you when you think about the two labels you can kind of think of the type of band that would be on fat records versus the type of kind of punk that would be on epitaph or it's it's just there's i don't know how to explain it but there is definitely a little bit of difference which is good totally how did you decide I'm going to do maybe two or three seconds of each song? Like this, if anyone, anyone who's listening, if you don't know the videos that we're talking about, 
pause this podcast right now and go to Kai Smith's YouTube channel and watch all of his videos because your mind is going to be blown. He literally plays five minutes. It could be up to 30 to 60 songs, possibly. Is that right, Kai? Yeah, I guess it depends on the band. Like some have like maybe even over 100, I'd say. It just depends on how many how many songs the band's made. I try and cram it into the five minutes as much as possible. Not only is he playing three to five to seven seconds per song, he's also changing tempos. You're changing tempos and and you're doing it with such ease. Like I'm watching this and I'm just like, how are you going from the the fast to to whatever, you know, just with such ease. You practice that when you're filming the video or recording the drums. Are you doing those separately? Are you recording the drums first? Are you doing each track separate or is it all one track? What's the recording process like? The recording process has probably changed a bit over the years as well. I guess when I first started doing that idea, I did, you know, the fat records and epitaph one. And I guess going back to the first part of your question, why are they five minutes? I did like, I think the fat records video ended up being like 13 minutes. And then the epitaph video ended up being like, 20 minutes or so because there's so many releases, you know, and I think putting that together was like, it was a challenge, but then I watched it back and went, you know, I don't know if anyone wants to really sit here and watch 20 minutes of me playing drums. That's where the idea of like condensing it all into five minutes just made total sense. So the process of actually recording one is I kind of go ahead and first I'll try and calculate roughly if a band has five albums and there's roughly going to be one minute per album and then try and, cut that together on logic. So just like taking little snippets and putting that all together and fine tuning it. And sometimes things blend together well, and sometimes they don't. And I can kind of get a pretty good feel for what's going to flow after doing it for a few years, you know? So I cut that together and then bounce that all out as one complete five minute song. And then I used to just spend, you know, maybe a couple of weeks just listening to that over and over again. So those transitions are kind of just locked in my head. Then I would sit behind the kit and kind of practice it and figure out how those transitions actually work and, you know, can I make them work or do I need to go back and adjust some things in logic or not? I kind of just treat it as a five-minute song where I just kind of learn it as it is and then go ahead and record it. You've been listening to all these Green Day albums for so long. Yep. You have to go from knowing all these songs inside out, because I know you're a musician, you're a drummer, you know all these songs inside out, to making one mishmash of a song and learning that Kudos to you for that, because that is not that is not easy. Thanks, man. It was a challenge at first, but I guess what I would do, which is just kind of have the track on repeat, like I used to commute for an hour or so to work every day. So I would just have it in the car, just on repeat, that five minute track, listening to it about 12 times on an hour journey. I guess it would just kind of become cemented in my head. Like I don't, I don't know the the scientific reasoning or how that works in terms of your brain and that kind of thing, but it would just get used to it and kind of predict where it was going from there. So the kind of old version of the song where it should go and how the song actually goes kind of changed to how I had cut it together then because I just listened to it so many times. It was just that repetition kind of forced it into my head, you know? So when I sat behind the kid, it just happened, I guess. Like I just kind of knew what part was coming up. I get a really basic idea of how to play the five minute song all about the rhythm to start with. And then from there I'd play it and kind of fine tune it to actually get different dynamics and those kind of things a bit more precise to how they were actually recorded, you know?
when you're recording it, do you record to a click or do you record to the track or both? Just to the track. Yeah. I never bothered with a click because I'd have to kind of go out and map it and it'd be, I don't know, like this crazy wild tempo map to actually make that work, you know? So no, I just, I just play along to the actual track. So when you're recording it and you're mixing it, you're recording the track with the drums in it. Like Trey Cool's drums are in there, but yours is just louder. Yeah, exactly right. That's just something a lot of people ask is, you know, how do you get the drums out of the track? And um, the original drums are all there. It's just that, like you said, it's just been mixed so that my drums are a little bit higher and they kind of just stand out a little bit more. So the original drums kind of, they're still there, but you just can't, don't hear them as much, you know? So are you mixing? Are you the mixer? No, I, I do all the recording, but a good friend of mine, um, Michael Feffi-Sofoglia, he does all the the mixing and he's been doing that for the last, I think the first video that he mixed for me was the Fat Records one and he's just kind of done it ever since because he's all over that and he knows how to get really good tones and good sounds and that kind of thing. So yeah, he's great. Does he use any triggers at all or is it all natural sounds? No, it's all natural. Like I'm not super big on triggers. Like I know that when you're recording a song, like they're kind of common now, even if they're not the main thing there, they, you know, a lot of engineers will blend them in, which is cool. A lot of the time it works really well, but I try and avoid it because I think it just, a lot of the time it doesn't feel like the dynamics are as good as they could be. You know, it just doesn't sound as natural, especially with like fills and rolls and all that kind of stuff. It just sounds a bit, a bit funky a lot of the time. So Feffy, does a great job at trying to just make the best of what actual recorded sounds he's got. I agree with you. I'm not really a fan of, of the triggers. Like, you know, I think it's, it serves a purpose. I know there's been, I know a few bands that have recorded that just didn't have, you know, the best sounding gear. So I know um, the engineer has had to go and kind of go and trigger that to make it sound a bit nicer, but as much as possible, I like to try and get like a good sound in just to make it, just to avoid that, that kind of artificial sound of triggers occasionally, even though a lot of the times, you know, they're, they're getting so good now, like you can hardly differentiate a lot of the time, but um, yeah, I try and avoid it when I can. Well, I know one band, the drummer records on a keyboard. He records all of his drums on the keyboard all right. and that's what you that? hear on the single. And it's just, I don't know, it blows my mind. Yeah. Okay. I guess, um, it's different. It's, it's just easier for them because they don't have to rent a studio. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. You know, I guess if like a lot of electronic music and that kind of stuff, it makes total sense to do it that way. Even if you're going to perform it live on acoustic kit, maybe it makes sense to do it that way, but, um, different styles, I guess, benefit from different stuff. After you get the mix, is that when you start filming? Yeah, I used to do it all at once. So I used to do the video and audio all at once. Like I think maybe those, that Fat Records and Epitaph one and maybe even the Green Day one, I'm trying to remember now, but they were all just like... It looks like it's cut like with like two cameras. Yeah, I think there's, yeah. What, what I would normally do is kind of, you know, I'd perform that five or 10 minutes or however long it was, you know, just three or four times and switch up the cameras and that kind of thing and then go and comp the audio track as well. Um so back then I recorded the audio and video together, but these days I record the audio first and then go ahead and do the video secondary. Mm -hmm. And you just film it all yourself? Yeah, for the most part. You know, that's outside of the music stuff. That's what I do for a job as well. I'm a videographer, so I've kind of got all the cameras and set it all up myself. But there were a few videos where I've had help from a place I used to work at. They, they helped like record the Beatles video and... Um, I went to the States and did some filming over there with Capitol Records and they had their video team kind of do it and that kind of thing as well. We're so. going to get into that. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. The, so the Beatles, 
I don't want to skip past all your, your work because you've done so much great work. First of all, the Green Day video has 2.3 million views. I'm in the YouTube game as well. So I know it's, it's like you don't know what video is going to hit and what video is not going to hit. And you pour your heart and soul into one video. And then like there's hardly any views. And then you have this other video that you got to get done quickly and you got to put it out. And then all of a sudden that one gets like a lot of views and you're like, what the hell, what the hell's happening here? But you have a no effects one, you have a rise against one, you have a strung out one, you have a blink 182 one that's actually has more views than the green day one. There's so many bands here. There's so many, you did a Foo Fighters one. I haven't even seen the Foo Fighters one. I love Foo Fighters. So I got to watch that one. Lagwagon and you get all the way to the Beatles, which is completely left field because you're doing all these punk bands, but I love the Beatles and I watched the video and I, I remember watching that video years before and being like, who is this guy? This is crazy. That one you recorded and then you filmed later on because you're on a rooftop and I don't think you would have been recording your drums on the rooftop. Can you tell me a little bit about your love for the Beatles? What's your favorite album? I, I seem to be asking a lot of people this. What's your favorite Beatles album? Yeah, that's a really tough question. I mean, my love for the Beatles stems back from when I was like, really young i'd go to my grandparents place and they had obviously all the, the beatles records on vinyl and i remember hearing like the uh, kind of those early releases back then like you know love me do and all my loving and all that kind of stuff that that's kind of what i remember from being a child and i guess i probably didn't spend a lot of time listening to them you know growing up and especially when i started listening to punk rock i kind of became a bit narrow-minded and would just listen to punk rock like that's all i was interested in i broke my arm in i think about 20 yeah the start of 20 15 so I kind of had to stop playing drums for a few months and I think at that time I just kind of didn't really feel like listening to fast aggressive music either like I just for some reason something clicked in my brain and because I, I can't play loud fast music I kind of just didn't want to really listen to it either so I actually went back and spent a lot of time listening to the Beatles at that point in time and I think I was off the kit for about six to eight months at the time which meant I wasn't recording any videos. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. We had to cancel the tour with my old band. It was, you know, really bummer, like a really bummer of a time. But during that time, I spent a lot of time listening to the Beatles and researching them more and kind of, I guess, revisiting all the stuff I listened to when I was a kid. And, and that was when I decided to record a Beatles video as well. So as I was in hospital at times, like, I, cause I had like a few operations to get my elbow back on top. I was cutting together Beatles chronology and I thought for the first video back after six or eight months might as well go all out on it the Beatles made total sense which album is your favorite album mine is Rubber Soul I like Rubber Soul I think maybe Revolver might be might be the favorite but it's so hard like it's it's one of those bands it's kind of like Green Day for me it depends on what mood I'm in as to what it depends on your mood right totally yeah I could see that for sure obviously Rubber Soul and, and Revolver they kind of go hand in hand yeah they were kind of recorded within months from each other and it's that period for me it's that period when they weren't that rock band that was on speed in the early 60s just playing three times a day and then it was kind of a little bit more experimental but not so out there that they're doing all the lsd and it's not lucy in the sky with diamonds so that's the period obviously i love the beatles i love all the beatles but that is my go-to album whenever i'm in the car or you know Whatever I'm, I just want to listen to something that isn't punk or metal, I throw in Rubber Soul. Yeah, it's a good choice. How did you get from playing the Beatles five minute drum chronology on a roof in Australia to Madison Square Garden live at the NBA All Star game? 
so I put the video out and it kind of, I guess it did like, you know, a bit of a viral thing and it kind of got spread around and it kind of ended up on local TV over here. And I think a few different things overseas as well. It was just, I guess, you know, just tapped into that nostalgia that people love the Beatles. So I kind of just got a random email from the event manager at New York Knicks just saying, hey, saw your video. Would you like to come and perform it? at Madison Square Garden. And it was kind of one of those things, like I get a lot of different emails that they either don't eventuate or they're not who they say they are or whatever. And I kind of, I saw it and I did a bit more research and I was like, oh shit, this is real, you know? Um, So that was totally wild that someone was asking to do that. I'd never been to the States before and first opportunity to go to the States was going to be playing at Madison Square Garden. It took about a year or so to get my visa in order because I just had to do it all legit and I didn't have any management and just figuring out how that all works was a total nightmare and I just spent a lot of months kind of up all night trying to email and make phone calls to New York because of the time difference and that kind of thing but um, eventually got over there in the start of 2017 I think it was and played at Madison Square Garden which is totally Totally wild. Did they fly you out there? Did you, can you tell us that? Did they pay for your ticket? Yeah, they paid for, I guess they, because of the visa, I actually ended up losing money by doing that because the visa costs so much money, like 11 grand or something. And I got paid whatever by Madison Square Garden, but it wasn't quite enough to, to kind of cover the visa costs. So I tried to just jam as much as I could in while I was over there. You know, I did a few other projects just to kind of make it really like worthwhile yeah i mean it would have been totally worthwhile to do that by itself of course but if i'm going over i'll make the most of it and try and do as many projects as i can you know so how long were you in the states for i came over for about six weeks so there was that other band i mentioned the porkers they coincidentally were going over at the same time and their drummer wasn't available and i did a three-week tour with them and played with like you know Mighty Mighty Bostones and we did a tour with Voodoo Glow Skulls and Bucko Nine and that's how I know AJ actually um well that's how I I got to know AJ better AJ's the drummer yeah he's in a band right now called Hit the Switch which is a great band and uh spoiler alert I have him on my list to interview him in the future so he's going to be on a future podcast yeah right yeah so I I did a, a couple of week tour with the Porkers and then then it was time to go to uh, actually I went to LA and did some stuff with Capitol Records as well. They they kind of asked if I'd be interested in working on some stuff with them. Yeah, it all kind of just fell into place. Like all this stuff just happened to be around that same time. I was going to be in the States for the next thing anyway, and I managed to do a few week tour with the Porkers and then I did some stuff with Capitol Records and then I went over to New York to do the next thing and then just kind of hung out and had a bit of a holiday for a couple of weeks after that. Go, go, go. 
You went to 924 Gilman, which is in San yeah. Francisco in the Bay, a historical place for punk rock music and from the 80s until now. And you filmed a rancid one there, which is just amazing. How did that happen? I got so lucky with that trip. Like there was so many bucket list things I ticked off. Like I've always wanted to go to 924 Gilman, obviously, because, you know, as we talked about being a huge Green Day fan and all that whole scene that kind of came out of that area, it just worked out really well that one of the last shows of the tour with the Porkers and Voodoo Glow Skulls was at uh, 924 Gilman. So we were going to go there and play there anyway, which is rad. And then I thought, you know, I might as well try and film a video while I'm in town as well and got in touch with the crew at Gilman and said, is it cool if I stop by a little bit early before the show and film this thing and they were cool with it and it was awesome. Did you stay in the States or did you come up to Canada at all? Did you, were you, have you been to Toronto? No, I've never been to Canada actually. I'd love to get there one day. Um, I know there's, you know, some similarities between Canada and Australia, but um, no, I haven't made it over there yet. Hopefully one day. Yeah. Hopefully uh, I'll make it one day out there as well. <laughs> one day. Once the pandemic is is long gone. We can totally. do all that touring stuff again. But I did hear actually from my friend, Ali, the drummer from the creep show who I had mentioned to you uh, a little bit earlier before we hit record. He, uh, he said he knows who you are and he did spend, uh, you know, 10 years, I think it was in Australia. And he sent me a photo today saying this happened in Australia today. And it was a concert with like just a packed venue. Yeah. That's happening there. It's starting to happen, yeah. Like there was a few months there where obviously nothing happened and then a few months after that there started to be like kind of seated shows where, you know, you could go and watch a band but there'd be really limited capacity and you'd have to be seated the whole time and sectioned off and that kind of thing. But yeah, it seems like in the last couple of weeks they've started to have some bigger style festival shows, you know. Like I think it's maybe not at full capacity again but it's starting to happen again which is really cool because um, I guess we're very fortunate over here and it hasn't been as intense as obviously what's happening in the States and other parts of the world. So it seems like, yes, things are slowly getting back to a bit of normalcy in a few areas at least. When's the big DAO festival? That's usually in January. It used to be in January, but that, that finished up maybe... Yes. Oh, it's not even a thing anymore. No, it's finished. That and Soundwave, the two kind of big festivals, they're, they're no longer happening, um, unfortunately, which is a real bummer. But I guess it remains to be seen what will happen with festivals in the next few years. I know a lot of touring companies have gone under in, due to the pandemic. So we'll see what happens after um, things get to back to normal anyway. I guess it's going to be winter there soon as well. Yeah. Do you have any Australian bands that you can shout out that you love that maybe people in North America don't know? I, probably my favorite Australian band right now is a band called Violent Soho. I absolutely love them. They're so, so amazing. I don't know how big they are there. I know they've won a, a bunch of awards. I think the yep. uh, REO awards and stuff. But what are some of your favorite bands? Do you know that band? Um, yeah, I mean, Violent Soho, they're, they're, they're killing it in the last few years. Um, I don't know them personally, but they're doing great stuff. And it's cool to see there seems to be a few more kind of, you know, guitar, kind of grungy, punkish kind of style bands that are happening at the moment, which are doing really well for themselves, which is cool to see because I guess there's not a whole lot of that happening in the broad um, music scene in Australia. So bands like Violent Soho and June Rats and Wax and those kind of bands, they're, they're kind of really doing some cool stuff, which is great to see. My favorite Australian band of all time is Friends All Wrong. They're part of that whole 90s, fast, fat record style music and, you know, 
they're great. And then there's, you know, bands like Body Jar, which are in that same kind of vein at the risk of forgetting a bunch of bands. Like <laughs> I think you mentioned a lot of them before, like a lot of friends bands, you know, like uh, Hack the Mainframe from Newcastle, they're friends of mine, The Decline from Perth, Chris Chicken Rolls from Sydney, Batfoot from Sydney. There's heaps that I'm sure I'm blanking on at the moment, but there's a lot of cool bands out there at the moment. So, Isn't The Living End from Australia? They are, yeah. Great band. Like the, the guitar player, Chris, he is, he can shred. He can shred for days. If anyone wants to listen to a good, I want to say, I guess there's, are they Psycho Billy? Is that what they are? Psycho Billy? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, they used to be kind of very much in that, in that sort of style, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about genres now, but you know, I guess they're just, you know, maybe more of a kind of a rock style band these days, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that's where their roots came from. Definitely. Great band. And so you are on a, a Mikey and his uke song. Yeah. yeah, dope sick girl. How did that happen? Did Mikey reach out to you? Did you reach out to Mikey? Because I, I guess kind of doing similar things. Like you've done, you've done yeah. the cover thing with a bunch of people, and he's been doing that. Yeah, no. Mikey sent me a message and said, "Hey, do you want to do something together?" Which was really cool. It made total sense. Like I think I'd seen a few of a few of the videos he did, like the Black Flag one and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it just made total sense for us to do something together. I guess, like you said, we're both doing the whole YouTube kind of thing. And um, he put together a really cool bill and it was rad. What's up next for you? What are your plans for the future? What what can you tell us? I touched on before, I'm a videographer. So I've got a videography company over here, which is kind of what's taking up most of my time at the moment. But I'm trying to do more in the music space. Like I'm doing a lot of drum tracks for different bands. A band will send me a demo. I'll kind of record my parts here in the studio and send it back to them to check over. And then when they're happy with it, I'll kind of fully flesh it all out as a, a master that they can then use for mixing and mastering. So I've been doing a lot of that lately as well, which has been really cool. And I've got a lot more of that coming up. But in terms of the actual... YouTube stuff. I've got a few ideas of stuff that I want to do, but it's just kind of finding the time to do it. You know, like there was a few year period where I was just going all in YouTube and just spent every chance I could to do YouTube content, but just can't do that as much these days. So I'm just trying to do it every now and then when I can. It's more about doing the projects I really, really want to do these days rather than trying to do the quantity I used to do. You know, got a few other things coming up. Hopefully they'll be out in the next few months anyway. It's always nice to have that that freedom where like you did that one thing for a long time and you always wanted to branch out because you have different things you like to do. And now it's kind of like, you can do those things. You can do the videography, you can do, you can shoot the weddings or whatever you're shooting. And then you can also write music and record drums for all these bands around the world. And because of the internet, it's just so much easier to do. It sounds like you're as busy as I am, honestly. Well, very cool. If people want to find you on social media, where can they search you? How do they find you? should just be able to search Kai Smith. So K-Y-E. Yeah, I'm on all the, on the gram and Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff. So yeah, get in touch. Perfect. And before I go, I just want to touch upon the Simpsons. Do you get Simpsons quotes from the Canadians or Americans? Like this is not a knife, it's a spoon, anything like that? (laughs) Yeah, we get that one from the, the Australia episode a lot. I just grew up like Simpsons were kind of parallel to to music for me in a lot of ways. Like I kind of grew up just watching The Simpsons every night. So it's pretty common over here to talk in Simpsons quotes. Well, thank you for being on my podcast. I I really appreciate you taking your time on your day to to hang out with me. And uh, thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Killjoy You like a rhinestone pickup line 
my drunk guitar is more fun than you'll ever be Dear God You're a monologue repeater A computer is a better That was Violent Soho with the song Viceroy, and they are a great punk rock band from Australia that I absolutely adore. Check them out. And they actually have a cool song from their new album called Canada that is really cool. I considered playing it, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to wait because I'm hoping to get the band on this podcast so I can interview them. And then I will play that song and we will talk about it because I want to talk about that song to them. I want to say thanks to Kai Smith. Shout out to you, my friend. Thank you so much for doing that. I hope you're having, uh, you know, you're safe in Australia and you're having a great day, great week, great year. Love you. I want to give a big shout out to Steve Risen for doing this episode and every episode's technical production. And if you don't know what that means, he mixes it, he masters it, he edits it, he makes it what it is, as amazing as it is. So thanks, Steve. For everyone else, See you next time.
I see you've plied knifey spoony before. Miserable!